0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. So much to be happy about today in there, right? We've got we've got God on His throne. The Vols are winning. Our president's healing, and and God is God is up to a lot of good things in there. You know, Connect Church families, I uh, as I think as we hop back into our our joy series out of Philippians, where we've been for. For many months now. I took a break last week at our birthday. I preached the very first message uh, that I preached at Connect Church some two years ago. We hop right back into Philippians chapter 3 today. So if you have your Bibles, we continue in for the third message on one verse. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. You know what? There's one phrase that I hear That when I hear one of my buddies say it, or I hear somebody else say it, here's what I think to myself. This is not going to end well. You know what phrase that is? Watch this. Hey, 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 watch this. Man, listen, every time my kids say it, every time a friend say it, you know what I think in my mind? This is not going to end well. And you know what I do? I watch. I'm ready for the train wreck that's going to happen. I'll never forget I was... uh, and I had to be 18, 19 years old, and we were at, uh, with my home church, First Baptist Sevierville, we were on a college ski trip, and we, uh, we had skied all day, but we had found out there there in the mountains of North Carolina was a place called Hawk's Nest, and they stayed open until the wee hours of the morning, and so we thought, you know what, why not, after the services that night, let's go over there and let's ski some more, and so we did just that, and it was a bitterly bitterly cold night. I remember that. Uh, we weren't skiing on snow, as does happen sometimes here on the East Coast. We were just skiing on all ice, and uh, it just made for a fun night. And that's when our attention was grabbed by a guy who was sitting up in the chairlift. And they also had an open bar at Hawk's Nest, which alcohol and skiing don't mix very well. And um, And there was a guy who had had just a little bit too much fun at the bar. And here's how we first were introduced to him. The ski lift was stopped for some reason. We look up at a guy who was having way too much fun on a stopped ski lift, and he kicks one of his skis off. And we're just like, this guy's going to have a hard night, right? And so he skied down, he got it. A couple runs later, we we skied down to a terrain park where they have jumps uh, for skiers and snowboarders. And and we were kind of sizing up a really big jump at the bottom of this terrain part because uh, if we were to hit it, it was icy. We'd probably just land on ice. It would be kind of painful. And, and so as the group of my friends and I were looking at this jump, well, here comes that guy, and he stops right next to us and says, "Hey, fellas, watch this." <laughs> I remember thinking, "Listen, you choose life here, right? Don't don't." Do- he points his skis down the hill. Now, now, now as we approached the jump later on, we, we would carve back and forth to kind of slow down to hit it, going at a good speed. He pointed his skis downhill, and he never moved an inch. He never carved back. He went 100 miles an hour, and he hit this icy jump, and I'll never forget what we saw next. The jump itself obscured him from our view, but I saw two skis shoot 20 yards this way. <laughs> poles fly straight up in the air, and I don't know how he did it, a glove flew up in the air, and so we skied down really quickly next to him, and there was a lot of uh, uh, groaning, there was a lot of blood, and we said, hey man, are you okay? He's like, oh man, did you see that? <laughs> we're like, yeah, but we're not certain you did, right? Like, and I remember just going down, I mean, this is not going to end well. You know, where we've been at the past couple of weeks in scripture, we've been looking at some of the end times. And here's the message I have for you today, that for those who do not love God, this end times conversation, it does not end well for them. As we watch this unfold throughout scripture, we know this, for those who do not love God, the end times don't end well, yet for those of us who love God, God who know Christ, this is the very ending that you and I, the very ending that we long for, really above anything else, the coming, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at part one of his coming, when Christ comes for his church in the rapture, and today, we look at part two of his second coming, when Christ comes with his church. In our study in Philippians, we are reminded by Paul that our citizenship is in heaven and that we do eagerly await a Savior from there. This is one of the great truths, one of the greatest realities, one of the greatest joys that we have of our faith. And that is that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. But where do we find this promised return of Jesus, well, we know in the Old Testament that there's over 1,500 references to the second return of Christ. We know that in the New Testament, over 330 verses deal with His return. Throughout Scripture, 224 prophecies speak of the day when Jesus comes again, but there's one passage I love to look at. In your Bibles, if you'll hold your place in Philippians chapter three, turn to Acts chapter nine, and we begin to see something pretty incredible. Unfold. Now let me frame it up for you. Jesus has already died upon the cross, rose again, emptied that grave three days later, and has spent 40 days with his disciples, walking with them, eating with them, teaching them, well, it's time for Jesus to go back to the Father in heaven. It's time for his ascension. And here's what verse nine says of Acts chapter one. I'm sorry, Acts chapter one, verse nine. And here's what it said: After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid them from his sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Hey, did you catch the promise here? Hey, listen to how John, as he wrote the book of Revelation from Patmos where he has been exiled, listen to the anticipation of the second coming of the Lord in Revelation 1.7. He says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. He is coming. But as we take a look at part two of Jesus' second coming, when Christ comes with his church, we need to be reminded of what takes place just before. Jesus' physical return. We must take a cursory, a, a brief glimpse into the time of tribulation and great tribulation. But a quick warning. Today's message is nowhere near an exhaustive look into the tribulation time that is to come. Nowhere near can we, can we accomplish that together today. There will be a time where we will preach verse by verse through the book of Revelation. But that's not today because here's our hope. You ready? It's for us to garner together even more hope, even more faith, even more anticipation for the second coming of Jesus. Now, I want us to remind us something, church. Uh, We live in a culture that if you disagree with someone, we, we try to demonize, we try to demean, we try to discredit them. But when it comes to our faith on the essentials, like the truth that Jesus is coming again, we are unified. On some of the non-essentials, some of the exact unfolding of these events of the end time, there is much grace because we know that really godly people have various approaches to how the end times unfold. And so we take a glimpse this morning into a unique time of tribulation, and there's some important things you and I ought to know about this time that has come. Now, one of the first things that we need to know is who won't be there. Who won't be there in this time of great tribulation? And that is the church. The church will not be there in the great tribulation. Like we discussed two weeks ago, I love what Adrian Rogers says when he speaks of this time of tribulation. He says this to the church. Hey, there's a way out, and it's the way up. It's placing your faith and trust in Jesus today and not waiting until he comes for his church. There's a way out, and it's the way up. We know this about the great tribulation period. You ready? It is a time where God pours his wrath out on the earth. But the church, because of Jesus, is no longer subject to wrath. Listen as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He would write later on in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this commentary. In Matthew chapter 5, um, we find verses 13 through 16 that the church, that believers, we are called salt and light. Salt, that great preservative of the ancient world. We're called salt and light. Well, what happens when you take salt and light from the earth? Well, when you take salt from the earth, you take away that great preservative and things begin to rot and decay. When you take the light from the earth, things begin to fall into great darkness. And that's exactly what happens when the rapture of the church takes place and this time of tribulation begins to fall, decay, and darkness abound. So if the church is not there, who will be there in this time of great... Tribulation. Well, the scripture is clear the people of Israel, the Jewish people will be during the time of the great tribulation. In fact, scripture teaches us in Jeremiah 30, verses 3 through 9, that this is the time of great distress, of Jacob's distress for the people of God. But God has a special work to accomplish. In his chosen people, and the Jewish people. Many will be saved in that day. Many will be sealed, and many will share the gospel. Take a glimpse of it in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3. John writes that there will be seals that will be placed on their foreheads of the servants of God. In verse 4, then I heard a number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Hey, listen, one day in the Great Tribulation, there's going to be a great moving of God and many will be saved. But here's who also we see in this time of great tribulation. We see an unholy trinity. Right? We see that dragon, old Satan himself. We see a beast, that is the Antichrist, and a false prophet who is a beast in and of himself. In fact, this, I want us to focus for a few minutes on one of the more menacing central figures of the tribulation time, And his name is the Antichrist. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, John would see events unfold, and he said this, And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. He was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. If you've ever read Revelation, doesn't that description look a whole lot like Jesus in Revelation chapter 19? But I want you to hear me. As we see this writer, he is anything but Jesus. He looks like a conqueror here. But hear me, church. He's nothing more than a counterfeit. In this passage, he looks all-powerful. But we know him to be nothing more than a poser. He looks incredibly powerful. He looks impressive. But we know this, that this writer is nothing but an imposter. You know, the Bible says this, he's known as the Antichrist, as the beast of the man of lawlessness in Scripture, and he is an enemy of God. And here's a little of his story as the events unfold in the time of tribulation. We know that God allows this Antichrist here in Revelation chapter 6, we know he allows him to come to power politically, economically, and religiously during this time. Even though he claims peace, we read in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, as Daniel unmasked this fraud, this phony, this fake, that the Antichrist moves to make peace with Israel. A covenant of seven years, only to break that peace deal. To desecrate the Jewish temple like Antiochus Epiphanes did in the time of Daniel. We know that during this time of tribulation, but also that there will be this third temple that will be built in Jerusalem according to Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. We know this, that Solomon would build the first temple and Nebuchadnezzar would destroy it. Herod the Great would build the second temple, only to be destroyed by the Romans. But there will be a third temple built here in the timing, the coming of the Antichrist. And church, hear me. In this time of tribulation, three and a half years into it, this Antichrist, as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 would say, He will oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God and object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Not only did Daniel speak of this in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27, but Jesus pointed to it in Matthew 24 15 when he said this, that you will see the abomination of desolation which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Hey, church, this singular event on behalf of the Antichrist would usher in the last three and a half years of the tribulation, what is known as the Great Tribulation. The Antichrist will continue to garner more power politically, religiously, and economically. And in fact, in Romans chapter 13, verse 16, we we see the extent of this power. It says this, the Antichrist forced all the people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name, which is six, six, six. And people all the time begin to question, well, what does that mean? Mark of the Beast look like? Is it a chip that will be implanted in our hands? Is it a tattoo that will be across our, our foreheads? Is it a, a barcode that is placed? And here's, here's my best guess at what that mark is going <laughs> to... Who put that there? Somebody's getting fired. The A does not stand for Antichrist, right? I, who would do such a terrible thing? Hey, here's the answer. You Ready? And we don't know. A lighthearted moment in what is a very heavy conversation. And by the way, we're just skimming the surface. We don't know what that mark is. But we know what happens with that mark. What we know the outcome of what takes place, and it doesn't end too well for a lot of people. But here's what we do know, the Antichrist will wage war against those who are saved in this time of tribulation. Those who profess Christ and refuse to bear the beast's name or his mark. Revelation thirteen seven. The Bible says it was also given to him the authority to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority of every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given him. There's going to be a great time of persecution for those who are saved during this tribulation period. It is also during this unholy reign of the Antichrist in the great tribulation that we see God's wrath being poured out. In Revelation 6 and 8, there are seven sealed judgments that are broken tied to the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 24. Then there are seven trumpet judgments in Revelation 8, 9, and 11 and that are carried out against the world. Then there are seven bold judgments of God's wrath being poured out in Revelation chapter 15 through 17. It is wrath and it is the judgment of God that is natural, that is physical, and that is of supernatural proportions. God's gonna tell you, it is gut wrenching to read, it is heartbreaking to even ponder. And yet, in all of this, it is God's just answer against evil in this world. One particular bowl that God would pour out. Sticks out in my mind. Because in the pouring out of the seventh bowl, God shouts from his temple. And mind you, unlike the antichrist, he's the one who belongs there. He shouts out from his temple as the Bible teaches us in Revelation sixteen seventeen. It's done. Much like Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. God cries out from his temple, it is done. It is done. Well, here's what we know happens during this time. This is a picture from Israel. And just a year and a half ago, I had the chance to stand upon a mountainside. And I began to look over the Jezreel Valley, also known as the Valley of Megiddo, also know the home, known as the home of the Battle of Armageddon. Because just as God begins to shout, it is done. The Antichrist and the kings of the earth and their vast armies will move into this valley right here to battle, to fight against, and as if they could, to defeat God himself. As in the days of the Tower of Babel, how foolish a pursuit. And yet the Bible teaches us they gather together for battle. And what we take a look at now in Scripture in Revelation chapter 19 is one of my greatest descriptions of Jesus in the Bible because it is now with these armies amassed, the Antichrist leading these kings into battle. This is when we begin to see Christ come with his church. And so in your Bibles in Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11, let's look at how Christ comes with his church. And John writes, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse... And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes wars. Listen to this description. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. His clothes, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name called the Word of God. And the armies, now catch this, the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, were with him white and clean, and they followed him on white horses. Hey, church, by the way, it's us. Hey, that's when we come with Christ at his second coming. But notice how we're dressed. But we're not dressed for warfare. You you know, used to, I thought, man, this is the time we get to lace up the hiney-kicking boots, right, and go with Jesus, and we can lay waste to the evil. But we're not dressed for warfare. We're not wielding a sword as we ride upon our white horses. You know why? Because our job is simply to watch and to witness. As Jesus puts an end to this antichrist, his false prophet, and as Jesus begins to put an end to all that is evil to the very enemies of God, watch it play out. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads. Now listen to the language, the imagery here. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh this name written, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. In the Lord of Lords. Hey, that is a title the the Antichrist cannot bear. There is no king amassed on this field that day that could hold a light to him. Now this battle begins to rage on. Church, I want you to hear me. This battle isn't Rocky versus Apollo. It's not Muhammad Ali against Joe Frazier. In fact, this is really no fight at all that takes place here. With great ease, Jesus captures this antichrist, his cuddle buddy, this false prophet, and he throws them into the lake of fire. And for every person gathered in that valley that stands against the God himself as an enemy of God, Jesus with great ease destroys them all. It wasn't much of a fight. It was as if me and Tim Tebow threw down right here on the stage. It wouldn't be much of a fight for me. It wasn't much of a fight at all. And you say, well, hey, Pastor Anthony, why out of Philippians 3.20, our citizenship's in heaven. Why are you preaching two messages about the end time that don't answer every question? Why take this glimpse today? And here's my question for you. How can we eagerly await a Savior from there if we don't know what His second coming accomplishes? How could we be excited? And so what does the second coming of Jesus accomplish? You ready, church? It is a reminder to us and to the world that evil will not go unpunished and that injustice will not go unaccounted for. I'm going to be honest with you. There are times where I look at this old world. The sin that is celebrated, the evil that is tolerated, the godlessness that seems liberated. And I wonder this question. God, will sin and evil and godlessness, will it go unpunished forever? And as we take a look into this time of tribulation, as we take a glimpse of this time, God's answer to that question is no, no, evil does not win, Jesus wins. Have you guys ever heard that expression, well, you're just going to have to face the music? You've heard that expression before, right? Facing the music. Well, one of the legends behind that story is this. There was an imperial orchestra one day whose job it was solely to play before the king. Well, there was a wealthy man and a man of influence who wanted nothing more than to be on that stage and to play for the king. But here's the problem. He didn't know how to read music. In fact, he had never picked up an instrument before. And yet he demanded of this imperial conductor to be allowed into the orchestra. And giving away to the man's wealth and his influence, the conductor reluctantly said, you know what, come on, I'll put you in the second row, and he put a flute in his hand. Now, you guys didn't know this, but I know how to play the flute. You ready? That's about all I got. That's about all he had. And yet, every time the orchestra gathered, he sat in the second row. He lifted up his flute. He moved his fingers. And for two years, that phony played in the Imperial Orchestra. Well, as it came to be, that conductor was set aside. A new conductor had come and taken charge of the Imperial Orchestra. And he had decided that he had heard some things he didn't much care for. And so he would audition every piece, every member of that orchestra, one by one, to gauge their skill level, to see if they were worthy to play in the imperial orchestra. As you can imagine, our our great flute player became pretty worried and upset. In fact, when it came his time to stand before the imperial conductor, he faked being sick, right? How many of y'all have ever faked being sick? Now, don't answer that. Fake being sick, get out of sight. Hey, listen, he faked being sick. And upon that, the conductor called in the imperial doctor and said, hey, listen, come and check this man out. And he did, and the doctor said, listen, he's fine. And the story goes that 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 fake, that phony who played the flute in the second row of the imperial orchestra, shamefully stood before the conductor and had to admit that he was a fake. And that is when it's said that he had to face the music on that day. That was the day that he faced the music. I want you to hear me, church. When Jesus comes with his church at his second coming, the fake and the phonies, the godless and the evil will have to face the music Of God's wrath against sin. But hear me. But not the church. Not those in Christ. Because you know what the good news of the gospel is? That Jesus already faced the music of God's wrath for us. And those who are in Christ will never know His wrath again. And believer, as we take this glimpse, understanding our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, as we look around us and we see the evil, the sin, the godlessness that seemingly goes unpunished, unchecked, and unnoticed, all of it will one day face the music. And it'll be exposed. It'll be embarrassed. And God will execute His wrath against it. And so what should our prayer be today? It's yet to be the time of great tribulation for the church. What is our prayer today? I'm reminded of a quick prayer of Paul's. It's the latter part of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. In the Aramaic language in which it was written, here's the translation, you ready? Maranatha. Maranatha. In Aramaic it means this. Come. Jesus, come. It is a cry from Paul's heart. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And you know what, church? That ought to be our prayer. But until the time that he comes, we continue to work, as Paul has already said, in Philippians, in a way that Christ has called us heavenward, keeping our eyes on the prize, which is him. You ready? We walk submissively. We worship triumphantly. We witness urgently. We work and we watch expectantly for the second coming of Jesus. And you know what? If we can accomplish that, then you and I would be living out Maranatha, the cry of our hearts, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And I tell you what, Two minutes on social media. Take two minutes watching the news. In fact, be happy. Don't do any of that. But if you were, the evil and the sin and the ungodliness, just, I mean, it's just too much for me sometimes. And I find my heart crying out. They're not. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Even so, but you know what I always remind Him, Lord. But until then, I I am going to walk submissively. I'm going to worship triumphantly. I, I'm going to witness urgently. I, I'm going to work fervently. And until You do come, I am going to watch, expect, and that's how Maranatha more than just a cry of the heart, but the living out of one's life until he comes. Again. Let's pray together, can we? As we pray all across this room, I, I wonder this. Hey, Christian, are you praying out? Are you living out nothing? Are you eagerly expecting the Lord to come again? Are you at a place where you're walking submissively with Him day in and day out? Hey, not just on Sundays, but on on Mondays too. Are you worshiping triumphantly? Trust me, I don't mean just on Sundays. If we're all you ever get of worship, then you are starving to death spiritually. Are you worshiping triumphantly through your week? Through each of your days? Are you witnessing? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you living out the gospel? Urgently, knowing he could come again. Are you working fervently, not to build your own kingdom, but to build his? And are you watching, and expecting? Well, hear me. If we're not, there's some sin that's gotten into the picture. There's some attitudes or some apathy that is set up in. There's a root of bitterness maybe lying around somewhere in our hearts that we need to confess to the Lord today and cry out together, Maranatha. Come, Lord, come and live out that very prayer. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.